Hi, this is Father Bill W. here in Austin, Texas, and I would like to welcome you to um, uh, a podcast. It uh, goes by my name, but uh, what I try to do on this podcast is uh, teach people a little bit more about spirituality, uh, the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. For those who are getting bored with the program uh, or those who really want to go deeper into it, that, that's what we are really here to do. So I'm glad that you have joined us. We're starting a new series right now. And what I'd like to focus on is people who come into the program, AA, NACA, whatever the 12-step fellowship might be, uh, who are faced with other challenges. Uh, it might be ethnic, uh, spiritual, racial, uh, emotional, uh, things of that nature that... Uh, present uh, issues that often uh, are not addressed. Many of you, I'm sure, remember the interviews that I did uh, with my friend Paul in Barcelona on the subject of William James. And if you have not listened to, to that series of podcasts, I would strongly encourage you to do so. I think it uh, opens William James up in a, in a new way. He was important for people uh, in early uh, AA, certainly important to Bill Wilson. Difficult to read, and Paul wrote a wonderful book uh, on that, op opening that uh, subject matter up. Uh, and I think we're going to dive into a little bit of that uh, with this uh, series of episodes as well. Paul is, uh, is in recovery. He's also a gay, gay man in recovery. And He's written another book. The one thing I learned about Paul is when, when uh, if he's got an issue or something going on, he usually goes and get his master's degree uh, in that subject matter so he can talk intelligently about it. <laughs> and that's what he's, uh, he's going to do. And then do. write a book, yeah. And, write, and then write a book about it. <laughs> so welcome back, Paul. It is, uh, it is good to have you with us. Uh, the, the name of Paul's uh, other book is... Uh, Paths to Recovery for Gay and Bisexual Drug Addicts. I will put a oh, link. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll put a link to it in the show notes so you can uh, uh, get, it, get it there and um, get educated on this. So, uh, but you had a personal interest in it as well, eh? Oh, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, so yeah. in my case, I, I'm more, uh, I just, I'm, I'm more of a drinker, right? I just, I drank way too much vodka for my own good. Right. And yet, when I walked into AA, uh, when I walked into to the meetings in, in LA, two things were sort of dumbfounded me. One is the you know very high prevalence of of crystal methamphetamine, mm -hmm. and of course, uh, there's immense amounts of public public uh, and published um, data on this. Um, Usually by the third time a gay man goes into a rehab, there's about a 90% chance he'll be HIV positive. And so there was a huge amount of HIV positivity in the, right. in the community as well. And so, and, 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 and when you do these, you know, these, these, you know, journeys of African-American men, uh, that number in the South, it gets up to 50 for, for uh, African-American men who are walking into getting cleaned up. And so very high rates of HIV, very high rates of uh, crystal methamphetamine. Uh, I myself, you know, am HIV negative. I myself never tried crystal methamphetamine, mm. thank God. I, I did this book as an observer, but, but I do have a very intense story of coming from a deeply alcoholic family, 
uh, struggling with drinking for at least 10 years before I got cleaned up and um did, being you, gay you know did your father father die from alcoholism as i recall or yeah my father and my brother my father brother. did my brother did uh, and this happened in my late 20s and i just i buried it all and then i really paid a very high price for burying it you know i paid a very high price in my 30s mm -hmm. um on top of you know all the shame i buried being gay and so i really uh, sure. had a bit of a crisis in my mid-30s and that led me to you know getting cleaned up and so, yeah, so I've had, uh, we have, and, and I have an, uh, several other, you know, siblings that are just going down the drain, I'm afraid to say. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it is, it is something that in my family, there's 10 kids and basically nine out of 10 are alcoholics, including my father. And my mother mm -hmm. is, uh, sh should have been a, is, should have been a very proud member of CODA. And so, you yeah. know, typical immigrant family, my mother was Irish, my father's, you know, uh, family had come from Germany. Uh, in, in, in the beginning of the last century. And so, you know, this was, you know, very much a Catholic immigrant, you know, family in California. Mm -hmm. And we landed in New uh, York. <laughs> I yeah, yeah. Story, but uh, in New York yeah, City. Yeah. So. Well, and, and, and there's, and, and you know what, what happened, Bill, you and I talked about this a lot. I, I, I figured my family was kind of a, um, was a, a bug, you know, in, uh, you know in, in the whole American landscape. And what I realized when, when more and more stories were coming out in the last, you know, 10 years, as it, maybe even in the last six years about this overwhelming addiction problem uh, in American culture. And you saw that in the last year of Obama, you know, so sort of the last year of Obama and the first two years after that, we saw, um, you know, the life expectancy of Americans drop for three consecutive years in a row because of drug yes. addiction deaths right. and alcoholism deaths. And so my family, uh, I'm telling you right now, I truly believe that my family is a feature of America. It's a feature of terrible post-World War II PTSD that was untreated, violent mm -hmm. alcoholism, uh, an epidemic of abuse in American culture. I believe there was a runaway epidemic of sexual abuse in the 60s and 70s that is simply still not talked about right. um, because there's way too many people coming into the rooms. Uh, and in the work I did, I had to do hundreds of hours of, uh, of, of clinical work and, and working with people uh, at UCLA. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that the gay men, it's probably 40 to 50% had some sort of sexual abuse who are in recovery. And with women, it's higher, probably yeah. more than 50 and could be as high as 60. Right. And so this is something, again, that is simply not addressed properly. And I think this has to be a, a critically important part of people's uh, stories because there's so much PTSD wrapped up in, in, in these types of stories. And I believe it's particularly prevalent in the gay community. Right. And that's what struck me about uh, about your book, Paul, as I, as I was reading it, so much of it uh, is a is an excellent description of addicts, alcoholics uh, of, from the general population. But then the it's 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 multiplied. The, the problems are compounded when you add other issues like, like being gay, like like, like uh, being. Uh, mm -hmm. ha having PTSD, things, things of that nature that just compound the recovery process for, for folks. So these were the ones. I think that's right, doing. Bill. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's exactly right. In fact, when you challenged me to think about this in our notes back and forth, 
mm-hmm. I was like, is, 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 are gays that much different than like the heterosexual population? Then when I thought about it today a lot, mm-hmm. it, it's the gay experience of addiction and recovery is uh, normal addiction recovery on right. steroids. On steroids. There's, there, there's <laughs> a, a host of added issues, which I believe, and I've been sober a long time as you have, and I've been to 5 billion of these, you know, um, get togethers that we have. Um, I I believe the gay experience is materially different. And I think we should not be afraid at all about advising gay people to go to gay meetings and, you know, whatever you want to call them, LGBT is what normally they're called, right? Right. Um, There there are men's meetings of gay people, whatever, you know, LGBT. Mm -hmm. And so, 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 for instance, in, in, in the first incidents of family, you yeah, know, but, uh, you but know, before, first, before we get into it, yeah. let me let me break Sorry. this down, because in uh, in 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 Paul's uh, opening chapters, he talks about four categories that that he, he begins to uh, examine. One uh, is the lost family. Second is lost perception. Third is lost truth. And then the fourth is lost connection. And so what I would like you to do, Paul, is walk us through these uh, relatively slowly and in some depth so that we can, we can examine it from the, from the perspective of every alcoholic and addict who, who walks into the rooms is going to be suffering in these four areas. But then we'll look at the compounding that happens to the, to the gay man who's coming in. So let's start with the lost family. All right. Yeah. And so, so, uh, so, so, so we know basically, I mean, that there's been universally accepted research that, you know, something like 70% of the alcoholics framework um, is genetic, right? So, so it's right. overwhelmingly genetic. This is a, this is a disease of the family for, for, for sure, for sure. And, and so in my case, maybe not not that typical because 90% of a very large, you know, data set, <laughs> i.e. my brothers and sisters are, mm-hmm. are alcoholic. And so our, my family was, you know, sort of like growing up in a blender on puree. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I, when I went away to college, I said, I didn't go to a uh, way to college. I escaped, you know? Right. And so that was fine by me. I went to Washington DC and I, 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 um, and a lot of my family had already left because, you know, uh, my, my family was a what was a right. My family was a a sample of the time. Don't forget how much Vietnam ripped the American family apart. Mm-hmm. Don't forget how in that period, post seventies into the eighties and nineties, a, a, a greedy corporate culture was pulling away insurance. It was pulling away holiday. It was pulling away benefits. Right, it was pulling away healthcare foundations, and yeah. so if you got hurt or injured or burned out, uh, if you wanted to get, you know, go back to school, there just wasn't funding for any of this. And so, what you, what I see, what I perceive in America, is a massively burned out uh, group of people who are many of whom are addicted in their fifties into their seventies, uh, and this is a generation that's you know being the um, being sort of the victim of this this um, epidemic of oxycontin um, overdoses, right? I mean, the and, and especially women, women, women in their forties and fifties. These are the women who, right? When you don't when you don't have a safety net, it's harder to rebound, right? But when an economy is trying to come back, mm-hmm. 
The people with money can rebound. The people without, without, without uh, a safety net can't rebound. And so every time you have a, a recovery, fewer and fewer people are participating. And that's what happened to American culture. That is what happened to my family for certain, for certain, for certain. I know this to be true, where I have had burned out siblings from injuries, repetitive, you know, repetitive stress syndrome, um, physical injuries from, from, from manual labor, uh, burnout and so forth. And so uh, they, they, they just have gone down a road where it's very, very difficult to get back. We, we, we value people on what they can do and produce and not on who they are. So you're talking about, talking yeah. about uh, an endemic dysfunction in the American family uh, that, that we're born into. I, I was fascinated by the family roles. You mentioned this in your, in your book uh, that, that people uh, pick up on. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly, Bill. So, so let me give you some examples of that. So, yeah. so if you have a violent parent, you know, what, what we do is we grow up thinking that, that violence is love, right? That, that beating is love. And so, so, so that's where the, this epidemic, you know, the, the, the sin of Adam, where, where this epidemic uh, domestic abuse uh, becomes prevalent in, in American society. It, it's where people learn to become doormats. They don't want to, they know that confrontation is going to get them in big trouble. It's going to give, get them a beating or a humiliated uh, screaming match. And so mm -hmm. they just become doormats and, and they will avoid conflict at any price. And so, mm -hmm. so and some people become rageaholics, right? I have a brother like that. And so, so, so there's, there, there's that, there, there's those three, you know, mm -hmm. Right, domestic abuse, doormat, rageaholic, right, is where you can get. Now, in the gay world, you, you challenged me. In, in the gay world, I think what happens with gay boys as they become adolescents and young adults is that they become the best little boy in the world because they know and, and, and they're thinking every day, I guarantee you from the time they're whatever, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, every day when they wake up, am I gonna get kicked out of the family? Am I gonna mm. get kicked out of my church? Am I gonna get kicked out of society? So, so these three things, expulsion from family, church, and society, I'm telling you, don't tell me that this is not on the minds of adolescent boys and girls, you know, when they're 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, you know, 18. I knew I was gay when I was five. Yeah. So, so, so don't tell me that this is something that you just have to get over because it's something that you wake up with every day. What is my father going to say? Is my father going to kick me out? Is my father going to call me a pussy? Uh, yeah. Does my father really want a gay son? Right, and so so this causes the boy to be the best little boy in the world. And what happens is we tend to do things three times better than everybody else, just to feel equal too. And yeah, but it's certainly me because. But it's never enough, is it? Oh, of course not. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> no. Of course not. And and it leads to burnout. And you have that constant, uh, you know, that constant thing. And we'll talk about that in, in this disease of perception, that that they're going to find out I'm a fake and a fraud and a phony. So, so these two things are, are working against each other. You have, you know, I'm, I'm going to work as hard as I can to get a 4.0, which I did in virtually every year up until the end of my college. And on the other hand, I was like, they're going to find out that I'm a fake and a fraud and a phony. This is not a very good headspace to be in, you know, mm -hmm. as you're progressing, right? Yeah, that leads us <laughs> to the second one, which is the lost perception. And that's kind of seeing ourselves as less than. It's the inferiority yeah complex that uh, mm -hmm. uh, alcoholics and addicts, you know, we, we present this grandiose uh, facade to people, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. inside we feel worthless. 
and yeah, terrified exactly. that you're going to find that out. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And, and also, you know, I, I, I just given this a lot of thought. I, I think fundamentally, Bill, you, you and I talked about this a lot, too. I think fundamentally uh, the, the disease of alcoholism is a disease that tells me I am unworthy. It, it's, it's a disease of unworthiness that, that mm. my, my perception is so skewed that no matter what I do, I don't deserve a place in the world. You know, and so, so, you know, you have that, that, that sense of brokenness, right? The, uh, right. You, you know, the, we, we, we talk a lot about it in the, in the, in the 12 step, you know, groups, you talk about like the broken toy or the, uh, you know, I, I'm the Friday car, you know, when I push in the cigarette lighter, the windshield wipers go, and, <laughs> and you, you know, yeah, you put the right signal on the, the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, um, oil gauge turns off or something like that. And so, 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 you know, what we get is, um, uh, you know, I, in my, in my sense, my early, in my early sobriety, I had a sense that, that I'd broken something and no one told me I'd broken something and I was about to get caught for breaking something very expensive. And I had no mm. idea what it was, but I, I was going to get caught and called out on it, that I'd done something, that I'd broken something. And, and that was just a, a, a you know a skewed perception and and, and I, I believe you know you and I talked about this I think we, we agree I, I think there is a sense of that alcoholic personality because I guarantee you when I was in college I was in a top program it was a very <clears throat> elite scholarship program and I had a I got a 4.0 eventually but I told my academic advisor I thought I was going to be flunking out and he's like Paul I thought you were doing really well what where's this coming from I'm very concerned we need to sit down and talk about this and of course I aced everything but I did not drink at that time. So I guarantee you that my skewed perception was going full throttle way before I had my first drink. And that's the old saying, right? When you have your first drink, boy, you needed it, you know? Right. And so, so I think that's, where, that's where, where things get off the track is that, that, that skewed perception that is part of the alcoholic personality. You give a quote in, in this little section uh, from William James, where he says uh, how alcohol... alcohol um, alters our perception and for the moment we become one with truth mm, yeah, so that right. that yeah so that per, that skewed perception that you're describing uh when when i drink i i i i or drug i, I alter mm -hmm, that yeah. perception and i enter that that land of wholeness for a moment you know uh it's temporary but uh, yeah. people say, well, why the hell does he keep going back to it? Uh, you don't know. Uh, normal people don't know the pain of reality. <laughs> so I know, right? You know? Uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, so you know, we, we have that common uh, acronym of fear, which is false evidence appearing real. Yeah. And so, 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 yeah. What what you said is so true. You know, there, there's that that short poem, which is. Uh, I believe it's in the big book. Uh, it's um, alcohol gave me wings to fly and then it took away the sky. What we're doing uh, for the alcoholic personality is we're chasing the first high. We're chasing that feeling of escape because the reality in front of me is unacceptable. And for gay people, that reality really is unacceptable because gay people can often confront gay bashing, violence, um, you know, legal consequences for who they are in, in dozens and dozens of countries around the world that they can turn on the internet and they can see people being hanged in yeah. at least 12 countries for being gay. That's what really heterosexual people need to pay attention to say, well, we, you, you have you know, 
gay marriage, you know, you have all this stuff. What, what's your beef? My beef is I just came back from a cruise and every time we passed a, a, a Mediterranean cruise, every time we passed a, a country like in Northern Africa or other countries like that, I got a thing on my phone saying, beware, you know, the, you know, the, the, the penalty for homosexuality can be death. Well, so I have to go and pay attention to the country I'm going to and find out what are the penalties, uh, imprisonment or death in a dozen, more than 90 countries in the world, almost half the countries in the world for this. And so this does not escape gay people. I'm sorry. It's great that we have gay marriage. <laughs> it's great that we have you know, mm. domestic partnerships. It's great that gay men can, can adopt. We have a long way to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and so the, the, the perception there is... Um, again compounded you'd say hey oh wait, yeah without a shadow of a doubt without a, yeah. because we, we 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 alcoholics uh alcoholics hate alcoholics in recovery we hate hypocrisy because we were hypocrites we had to go out at night and be lunatics but then we had to go to work in the morning and be like a you know coat and tie and be legitimate now that's going to be compounded because with gay people you know, they're going out and doing things that are, you know, whatever you want to call it, immoral or unethical or, or mm. disgusting or all the things that society calls it. And, and it could cost me, cost people their job. I had a very high security clearance when I left um, university and I, I worked for the White House in the National Security Council. I had a top secret clearance. I had to leave that because if it was found out that I was gay back in the Reagan era, in Reagan's second administration, I would have been fired. So I had to leave what was the best job I ever had because mm. if they knew I was gay, I would have lost my security clearance and I would have been kicked out. So that's the reality, you know, um, whether, whether you like it or not. And so that th these are the things that, that add up over time to say, you know what, I don't like this reality that I'm part of. I don't know why I'm being singled out for something that, that I am. That this is who I am. And of course, AIDS was happening at the time too. And everybody was dying at like, you know, 20% of that generation, 20% of the 1990, 1980 to the 2000 generation, um, right? The, 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 the prime age group, 20% died, right? I mean, that is, that is, you know, 10 times higher than war, right? Mm. Right. And so so you had an extremely large part of the gay population, especially on the eastern seaboard, dying from from uh, AIDS. And that was also uh, aggravating and it forced gay people to come out more aggressively. I think we, we didn't have any choice. Mm -hmm. And so that compounded the issue for my generation. I was talking to a friend of mine, you know, Bill, about a year ago, and I said, I don't have very many contemporaries. I don't know where are my contemporaries. And my friend said, Paul, a lot of them are dead. They're dead. Yeah. And I, I just stopped in my tracks and I was like, holy crap, you're right, you know? And so, so, so with that, you know, process, you know, we, we've made huge progress, but, but the, the generation that still lives today in their, in their, you know, 40s, mid 40s to 70s, you know, are still have a lot of, um, a lot of baggage and trauma and PTSD grief, that, a lot that of grief. a lot, a lot of grief, a lot of grief. I have done so much, so many exercises in grief. Let's move on to lost truth, another section that uh, uh, addiction is a disease of secrets. We want to look good on the outside, you know, keep, keep the facade, but mm -hmm. uh, it's a life built upon lies. So let's talk about lies and, and deception. It was really big in my family. 
this this emphasis when I came into the program uh, was on tr- on telling the truth, mm-hmm, and I grew mm-hmm, I yeah. grew up where one did not tell the truth. I got in trouble sometimes for telling the truth yeah. in my family. You know <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, and and and, you, and in, a, in an alcoholic family, you, you get very comfortable walking around in a in a big pack of lies. You have to get oh, comfortable yeah. with that because the alternative is is can get you in really big trouble. And so that's exactly right. And so there's two things I, I would point out. One is that, you know, in the alcoholic family, it is, it's a family of secrets where, where, you know, reality is the last thing you want. You, you want the secrets kept inside. You want everything to look good on the outside. And, and, you, and you want, you know, the, the house, everything that goes on in the house, the violence, the, the rage, the um, passive aggressive punishment, all that jazz that, that goes on, the mental illness that goes on in the alcoholic family. Now, with a gay person, it's compounded because that gay person then goes out into the world and has to be kind of like a spy, right? The spy is somebody who, right, is working for one side, but has to go out and, and pretend he's something else. And, mm-hmm. and so, so that's where it, it, the, the stress compounds, where, where, where there's a, a double set of secrets. And, and that's all very exhausting and stressful. And, and I'm such yeah. a, a huge advocate for people to come out and tell their parents and tell their friends because the 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 profound stress that's caused by keeping secrets you know there's the old saying i love in 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 the 12-step groups you know um we're only as sick as our secrets and and i think that it's really important to um to to come out because generally speaking our parents are still going to love us even though they're going to blame themselves and and make religious, you know, weird religious commentary about going to hell and I'll pray for you and all that jazz. But generally speaking, I think parents do end up being supportive, you know, and, and I think I think I, I, I advocate that that people tell their parents because it's going to make them a better person. It's going to make their lives lighter. It's going to make their life easier. And it's going to over time, I guarantee you, it's going to deepen the relationship between uh, mother and father. Guaranteed. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, it's an opportunity to live your own life rather than somebody else's life. Amen, brother. Amen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's that's the distortion of of the truth. Um, Yeah. And and now, when it comes to church, you know, I'm disappointed in in America that that sort of the the religious right is dragging everything back. You know, in in your state of Texas, uh, the whole LGBT thing is going backwards. It's going backwards in Florida. It's going backwards in Arizona. And now it's going backwards in Idaho and, and the Dakotas and, you know, Wyoming. And so I, it's sad, but I, I do believe we're going through a period where we are going backwards, you know, and, and this is very unfortunate. Absolutely. Uh, we're in for some tough times, I'm afraid. Uh, you know, it, it just goes down to really what is spirituality about? What, what is healing about? What is wholeness about? You know, uh, what is, you know, as a priest, what, what is the Christian message about? Because I hear some of this stuff, uh, you know, and it's like, God, if that's the message, I don't want it. Because it's the distorted message that's, that's getting worse and worse out there. Yeah, and that's I, right, Bill. We've we got I, a lot uh, of work yeah. to do. I, I, th- I think it's built on prosperity theology, which is if you right. join our group, we will help you with your career. And I think it's built on it, it, uh, it's built fundamentally on exclusivity. 
and not inclusivity. And I think that the fundamental message of Christianity is inclusivity, not exclusivity. Yeah. Right. Um, Bill Wilson told a story about, uh, and and I wanted to get this right before I, I jumped on the podcast, but I didn't, I, I, I'm sorry I didn't have time to do it. But he told a story about uh, out in uh, in Akron, a man came to join the group. I suspect he was gay. Uh, I suspect he was gay, and uh, he said, "You know, you may not want to let me in." because I have a problem that's even more shameful than alcoholism. And Bob, Dr. Bob and the, you know, the elders <laughs> got together, they went in the other room and they talked about it. And they said, you know, when on the basis of the discussion was what would the master do? What, yeah, would, yeah. what would the master do? And they took the guy in and he became one of the best members of the group. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, that was, I, I did a talk about this and I went back and looked at the history. I did a pretty exhaustive uh, look at it, as you, mm. as you would imagine. <laughs> he was from the Chicago group uh -huh. and people from the New York group remembered him, but they lost track of him. Uh, apparently he was a cross-dressing heroin addict, you know, oh. and that's like five checks in a row. <laughs> and, 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 and Bill Wilson was, you know, 50 years ahead of his time. And he says, you got a, you got a problem with the cross-dressing heroin addict? Too bad. We're letting him in. How do you uh, like them apples? And that's why I stick around because, you know, in 1968, there was an international convention, right? In, in a, it was the, the GSO. It was the, the organization of, of the, the AA group that, that right. makes the rules. And the people were sh naughty, naughty. Um, uh, Richard Chamberlain's father, Chuck Chamberlain, was very much against it, against having gay meetings. And, you know, they were going on and on. And one guy just turned around and he said, you have women's meetings, don't you? Yes. You have young people's meetings, don't you? Yes. Leave the gays alone. Yeah. And it passed unanimously. That was 1968. Again, that, that was 40 years ahead of its time. This is why I stick around, because the... The, the, the foresight and the bravery and the revolutionary attitudes that AA had in that time, we got we to gotta rekindle that, man. We got to rekindle mm -hmm. that. We got to find it. And, and maybe particularly uh, as, as society is retracting as it is uh, in, in so many areas now. Oh, for, for sure. Yeah. yeah. All the more, Bill. Exactly. All the more. Exactly. All the more. Exactly. All the more. Yeah. 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 Lost connection. Uh, this is this is the final one. A feeling of not being a part of a, a, a loneliness, a, a longing for wholeness. Um, it's William James again. Uh, the soul sickness that uh, mm, pervades yeah. uh, the alcoholic, the addict, and then again compounded in, in the life of uh, gay, gays and lesbians and everyone who, who feels him or herself different. Lost connection, let's talk about that, not a problem. Yeah, so, so, so what, what, what made me write this was, you know, mm. so often we hear about uh, alcoholism being a, the, the disease of loneliness. Mm. And, and I think that, you know, and of course, you know, it's not the greatest idea in the whole wide world that if you um, are depressed and, um, you know, and, and alone, boy, let's drink a depressant, right? Because ethyl alcohol is fundamentally a depressant. So we, we, we come up with these incredibly bad ideas 
about, oh, I feel bad. Let, let's drink a depressant and stay alone drinking, looking out the window. And so, so, so there's a, a, almost a predisposition for isolation and loneliness that, that, that you know, is, uh, this is something that is, is still very problematic. And of course, you know, what, what my, my, my mentor, uh, you know, always told me, and, you know, he was gay and, and, and he would always say that, you know, being gay is like being left-handed. You're always constantly reminded that you're left-handed because the world's made for right-handed people, you know, doorknobs right? Punch ladles, um, mm -hmm. frying pans, um, you know, every, uh, desks in colleges and high schools, everything is mm -hmm. made for the right-handed person. And, and so you're just constantly reminded that you're just not exactly fitting in because you're part of that minority. And so I, I think that's a really good analogy. And so I, I think it's, there's no doubt about it. It's changing. It's changing very rapidly. You know, I, I'm in Spain at the moment. Spain's, you know, got a really wonderful, wonderful progressive government and a progressive culture that's very open and accepting. Uh, you know, I think France has gone, has come a long, mm -hmm. long way. Germany has, Scandinavia has, but the Middle East is going backwards. Asia is going backwards. America is going backwards. Russia is going way, way, way backwards, right? Um, the UK is going a bit backwards, right? Uh, Canada's great. You know, Canada is so great, mm -hmm. you know? And so a big part of the world is going backwards here. And it, it scares me that, you know what, I, I was talking with somebody who's a very bright guy and he's like my age. And, and, and he said, you know, um, somebody was saying, um, isn't it great that they're not putting gay people in jail anymore and, and we're letting them marry and, and we're letting them have kids. And, 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 and my friend just said, okay, these are the people, these are the same people who were putting us all in jail 30 years ago. I'm just checking. Uh -huh. And I thought, wow, that was kind of rude, but on the mark. Uh -huh. You know, we were put in jail 25 years ago. We were put in jail for not very much in America, right? right? 30 years ago, right? Well, we put more people um, in jail than anybody, don't we? I think uh, in the world, don't we lead the yeah, world? Yeah, 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 right. And, and Hong criminalize Kong, everything. Hong Kong, yeah, uh, uh, homosexuality was decriminalized in 1997. Uh, I was living in Singapore. It, it's still a crime to be gay in Singapore. Um, it, it's a crime in 87 countries, and it's a capital crime in, I believe, 12 countries. So, yeah. so we still have a long, long way ways and to dr go. Drug addiction and, is a crime. I mean, that's the way we treat it. Mm -hmm. we, correct, we, correct, correct, correct. So true. We will imprison you. Yeah. For this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. methamphetamines. Methamphetamines. A part of a big part of the study was uh, was revolving around the use of meth uh, by the the population you studied. Is that correct? Methamphetamines. Yeah. So th that's right. That's right. That's right. That that's what gave me the genesis of the book. And so mm. what we did is we looked at several hundred um, men who had gone through the rehab uh, facility at UCLA at the School of Medicine, and actually the School of Family Medicine with a wonderful guy called Steve Shopta. He's just a, he's, he's my hero. He's one of my great heroes. He did so much for the community. And he, he's a straight man who just has a heart of gold and a beautiful, beautiful guy. And, and, and he's done so much for, for decades. And, and so, so he asked me here, and he gave me like five feet of um, files. These are the medical records from, of everybody who came in for like a three month period, go through everything and figure out what's going on. Who died? So we went to the California State, you know, records, 
And whenever anybody dies, they have to register it with, with mm -hmm. any state, with, with the state of California. And so we found out that nine had died, which is, you know, sort of 8% of the group had died. And we went and tried to figure out uh, a number of things. We tried to figure out what was the life like for the people who were HIV positive? What was life like for the people who were HIV negative? And what was life like for the people who died? And it was a really interesting uh, eye-opener, and, and it, it ended up being published in a study at UCLA, was that, you know, um, um, more than half of the guys who died were bipolar. Mm. And, 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 and Steve was like, whoa, this is a, a big deal, because, you know, he said bipolar is a killer. And, and one of the questions, you know, as you know, a lot of these papers, they, they raise more questions than they answer, which is sort of the purpose. But you know, um, you know, you have to ask yourself, does the, did the bipolar kill the addict or did the drugs kill the addict? You know, I think this is a very important uh, question to ask. Um, a lot of them were already, by the time they were 13 or 14 years old, they were already going down the drain with um, dr heavy drugs uh, besides alcohol, marijuana. They were already getting uh, criminal uh, records. And so, so this is where, you know, the, the, the interventions for high school are become so important for the marginal is to keep them out of jail and, and, and get them you know, on a better path. Um, and also, uh, Bill, you know, the one thing that, that I was so struck by, first of all, you know, Steve was like very upset. He, he was very sad and, and, and he's like, nine, nine died? And I, I said, Steve, I went through every single one of these medical records, every single page. I'm amazed that like 35 didn't die because yeah. these guys were almost on their last legs because why? They, they were trying every drug under the, under the heavens, right? And so I'm just going to give you a couple of examples here where people are coming in to try to get cleaned up in 12-step groups, especially in the gay community, mm. and they are having one, GHB, two, heroin, three, Viagra, four, crystal methamphetamine, five, ketamine, six, ecstasy, seven, any form of downers to sleep. So you're looking not at getting cleaned up in one thing called, you know, CMA, Crystal Methamphetamine Anonymous. You're looking at getting cleaned up on at least five different drugs, right? And, you know, does AA have the capacity to do that? I would submit to you probably not. Right. Uh, I would submit to you that you probably have to think about, you know, these guys, you got to find some programs in America. We need a domestic Peace Corps. I've been saying that for years. You need a domestic mm. Peace Corps in America for drug addiction. This is what you need. Put all these people who are not working into like a six week training course and do a, a domestic Peace Corps and have three month facilities uh, for all these colleges that are going to go bust, you know, pretty soon. Um, and have three-month facilities for all these people who need to get cleaned up. People need to be taken out of society for three months when they have had drugs this strong. Yeah. It, and look, crystal methamphetamine causes brain damage, right? It causes extensive brain damage, which can take what, many, many months to... Yeah. to, to what is uh, it about crystal meth that is particularly <clears throat> attractive uh, for the gay population? Well, I always say that if the gays hadn't, if, if it wasn't around, the gays would have invented it because it, it, <laughs> it, it goes to all the heart of the gay stuff. It, it gives you courage. It takes away your shame. It takes away all the inhibition. It, it makes all of the, the rumination go away. It makes all of the concern about HIV go away. Mm. And, 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 and it's a sex drug. It's a sex drug. So, uh, you know, you can have sex romps, you know, and then, of course it gives you energy. It makes you lose weight. You know, so I just gave you like seven reasons why. You know, it, 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 
and, and you got men in their late gay men in their late 40s and early 50s who want to take a few pounds off and they want to feel young again they want to party with the right group so they start taking it and then you know whatever a year later they're missing their teeth and they weigh 110 right. pounds and they they've lost lost their job and their car and everything else right their their, their whole set of keys is gone and so, and then of course, you know, poppy is heroin, right? Alcohol comes from whatever, potatoes and, and, mm -hmm. and wheat, right? And, um, and you know, whiskey and, and all these other stuff comes from rye and, and uh, you know, cocaine comes from coca. Uh, crystal methamphetamine, it comes from essentially two ingredients, which is, you know, cough syrup and industrial detergent. Mm. Right and, or cough syrup and radiator fluid, and these chemicals are—they're chemicals. They're not naturally occurring, and they burn. That they cause it, it's a burn. Mm. You get you know first or second degree burns in the areas between your nerves and those axon and dendrites that are sending out signals, and and when these are burned, when your body's trying to produce you know um, endorphins after you've done a race or you gotten an A or you've done something really great that people are proud of, your body is not registering anything. So there's a flatlining event that can be, that can take months to recover from. And that's why uh, these people need to be sort of taken out, um, you know, and, and given a three month sort of, you know, facility where they can um, get all their senses back and, and, and let their brains heal. And I, I think without that, I think, um, the yeah. burden on the twelve-step program is is problematic, and, and I think the, there there has to be greater osmosis between the AA the, between the twelve-step programs and the outside world, a lot more osmosis, you know. And we can't just say this is an outside issue. That's bullshit, you know. Right. Um, it, it becomes critically important for this, um, and and I think also you know that that I, I do think that the discovery that most of the men who died were bipolar. If I I've sponsored people who are bipolar. I would say if you don't tr treat the bipolar, you're completely wasting your time in a 12-step program. You're wasting your time, right? The bipolar has to be treated outside by a competent therapist uh, or a psychiatrist with medication. And then the other stuff can, can, can kick in. But, but mm -hmm. if, these, if these other issues aren't, um, are, if we aren't candid about those other issues in the 12-step groups, uh, we're kidding ourselves. Right. And if we if we think the 12 steps magically are going to cure everything, we're 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 making things worse. Um, well, Paul, you've given us uh, a lot to to think about uh, here. It's um, it's 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 been fascinating. Uh, I want to dig uh, dig in a little, a little bit deeper next time to uh, PTSD, sex, the sexual trauma issues, uh, uh, because that's pretty common. Uh, amongst the gay, gay population that uh, they, they got injured early in many cases, not in all, but in, in many cases. So uh, uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. We, yeah. we will start looking at that. And again, uh, William James, relevant as ever, isn't he? Uh, uh, no, he, he, he comes <laughs> up all over the place. I know. Yeah. Relevant as ever. The the six souls out there that uh, he diagnosed a hundred more than a hundred years ago, and uh, uh, Bill, I went to a talk on psychedelics uh, with for the World Economic Forum in Davos, and interestingly, William James came up. You know, no kidding. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it was like cool. 
There's our boy. Yeah. There's our boy. Yeah. <laughs> Never ends. Well, Paul, thank you once again. It, it was uh, it was really really helpful. Uh, just just getting us going with this thing, and I will look forward to visiting with you again next week. Okay. And thank oh, you. Oh, and, and, and thank you, thank you for laying it all out so nicely. That that was so great the way you did it. Well, yeah, uh, I, I think we have to be sensitive to uh, all of the issues that uh, that people bring into 12-step recovery. You said an important thing, you know, uh, the, the, you know the, the pornography that's out there today, the availability of drugs that are out there today. Uh, we're screwing ourselves up royally early, you know, and... Uh, and, I'm afraid so. Yeah, I'm afraid that's right. I'm afraid that's right. Yeah. So, so people, young kids, that, that but by the time people are 13, 14, they've already fetishized sex before they've had an intimate relationship with a boy or a girl, right. as one example. They may have already tried hard drugs by the time they're 13, 14, or 15. They may have already tried speed or crystal methamphetamine, uh, on and on, right? Uh, and, yeah. and so, so these are where you know, adolescents whose brains are developing up to the age of like 22, 23 are already doing uh, damage. And of course, the, you know, and, and, and this leads to high degrees of anxiety. Yeah. Uh, anxiety is an epidemic with the, the Gen Z. My, my Gen Z interns are anxiety, um, just balls of anxiety. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm blown away. Uh, I have a lot of interns that are like, you know, 20 to 25. And the Gen Zs are just... Um, indecisive and, and anxious and afraid to make decisions, afraid of consequences. Uh, man, oh man, I, I see it all over the place. And this to me is, is why uh, offering insights into the 12 step program that take people deeper into the psychology and the spirituality are gonna be so critical, you know? It just yeah, can't yeah, and, and, be can't be the same old, you know, meetings, 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 you know? Yeah, it's gotta yeah. be a journey to wholeness. Yeah, and, that's right. That's right. And, and and in the book, there's a lot of solutions all over the place in the book. So, so you and I are laying out the fundamental issues and there's okay. a lot of solutions later on. All right. But, we, uh, yeah. we will get to the hope next time. <laughs> okay. Much love, much love, Bill. Thank you. Uh, much love in Austin. Okay. All right. Have Thank a great you all night. for listening. Bye.